Church, isn't it good to worship together this morning? Let me ask that again. I think it's good. Isn't it good to be together to worship this morning? Welcome to a new month, to a new series. Welcome our online uh, crowd. And it's a, it's a big day for several reasons, which we'll get to uh, here in a few minutes. But I want to um, tell you a story. When I say story, don't think Disney fictional. This is, a, this is from Scripture. But instead of walking through it on the screen, um, we're going to be sitting in it for every Sunday, five Sundays in um, October. Uh, so today I get to just kind of tell you the story and then we'll break it down as we go through. So let me, let me, can I just tell you a story? All right, there's a lot of characters, so you, you might be get lost a little bit and it's okay because by the time we get to the end of this month, you'll know these people like intimately and beautifully. Um, so it starts, this story happened, it's a historical story. We think about 2,400 years ago, so about, give or take, about 400 years before Jesus, there was a king uh, named King Xerxes. He has several names you can find outside of scripture in the Bible, but uh, we're going to call him King Xerxes. That's his easiest name to call him by. And he was king over an area called Persia, right, which is a huge empire. And today it's modern day Iran. Um, and he was in the city of Susa, which is the modern day city of Shush, Shush. That's what it's called, Shush, Iran. If you go to Shush, you're actually where this story takes place. And when uh, Xerxes became king, he threw a like massive bender, like the craziest, it was a six-month party because he was really excited about being king. And it was all the special people, and they just lived it up and drank and crazy and all this. And after you throw a six-month party, he just wasn't done. So after his six-month party, he said, that was for like the exclusive people that are my inner circle. Now I'm going to do another like banquet for a week for everybody. Everybody in the city, come eat and drink and go crazy. And, and so the dude's been drunk for like six, seven months. And in this banquet where everybody's there, you know, a man with a ton of power in 400 BC, drunk, decides, sometimes has some not great ideas. And his not great idea was, you know what? We've done everything we can do. We've partied as hard as we can party. What's left to do? What can entertain us now? I know. The queen. The queen's been doing her own party with the, with the women of the, and she's like, hey, somebody go get, and his, his, his wife, his queen was named Vashti. Somebody go get Vashti and tell her I want her to come entertain us. Now, we don't get a lot of detail, so we're reading between the lines, but we know the culture of Persia, and we know enough scholarly to put two and two together. It wasn't asking Vashti to come and play her violin. All right, there was sexual overtones in that. A lot of scholars that know a lot more than I do, they think that it, the, the most common, uh, common sense interpretation was she was asked to come dance naked in front of the king and all the people. Well, when Vashti got word, Vashti was a little ahead of her time because her response to that request was, nah. All right? No. All right? Talk to the hand. I'm not doing that. She just said no to the king. And if you go read this, and part of our goal in this month is that you'd be like, I don't think that's in the Bible. You go get to know this book uh, that's called Esther, by the way. Spoiler alert. Um, the name of the book is, is Esther. That you'll go read and see if some of this is in there. But listen, this dude was so offended that his wife said no. He's embarrassed, probably, that, that he like goes on this drunken rant and like men... You can't let your women say no. And he, he, he does a law that, hey, you men, own your homes. Like, don't let happen to you what happened to me, 
right? So he tries to make it a law for women um, to have to do this, and it's crazy that we're telling this story now in 2021 and all that's going on in our society and has come to light in the last you know, few uh, years, four or five years. So let me just real quick, I'm not going to take much uh, tangents or, or exit ramps from this story today, but on that one, this goes back to a critical, crucial flaw in mankind. And specifically, when I say mankind, I mean humanity and all genders, but specifically, I'm talking about male kind, right? And this flaw is almost from the beginning of time. There's been something in men that wants to believe, and it's worked its way through the years, even in the church, and this lie that women are created to satisfy the desires of men. Right? And it was there then, and it's there now, and it's said all kinds of different ways. It's usually not said that blunt. All right? So I just need to say, because we've got a lot of new folks, right? as Relentless Church, we and the gospel, more than me and we, we and the gospel stand against this lie that women are created to satisfy the sexual, visual, physical desires of men. In fact, we believe that Jesus... Uh, was pretty clear in how he interacted with women and how he chose to appear risen for the first time in front of women and how Paul and women were part of the gospel being carried throughout the first century when it was extremely counterculture, extremely dangerous. So we live in the freedom of believing that if you are a female in this church, that you are gifted by God to be a part and to use whatever that gift may be. And sometimes... God decides this. We don't. Sometimes God calls women to teach us, and and we're starting uh, for the first time maybe ever. Uh, We're doing a small group study that's going along with what we're teaching and preaching. So there's a small group study that starts not this week, but next week. Thank you guys that signed up to help us figure out where we should have homes. And there's going to be an online and at least one, maybe two homes as we kind of come back to life as a church. And it's going to be about this. We're going to be talking about these things. Well, in that small group, there's a small 15-minute video teaching done by a woman named Beth DeFazio. She is a uh, professor at Ozark Christian University. And we just believe that God can can teach. In fact, two weeks from today is a pretty big deal just for our seven-year-old church because for the first time, our very own women's pastor, Joy Bay, will be bringing the message on Esther in a couple weeks. Um, And and Raph will be preached part of this series, but we're not clapping for him because it's no big deal, right? Um, You know, know, you with me. So all that, now I'm going to tell you this story. So that sets up where we meet the the namesake of this book. Her name is Esther. Esther is a Jew. Um, They were not in uh, Israel anymore. This was after Israel disobeyed. um, And and like God said, if you don't stick with me, things aren't going to go well. And it was true. And and the Jews got just scattered and and some killed and some uh, were captives and exiled. So there's all these Jews living in Persia. Uh, It wasn't their homeland. They were foreigners. Some of them, you know, as you talk to them, you knew they were Jew. And some of them blended in really well, like Esther. So she was a Jew. She was an orphan, right? Her parents had been killed. We don't know exactly what, but you can probably guess that it was part of the exile, part of the oppression that that the Jews had been. So she had been adopted by her cousin. His name's Mordecai. So so Mordecai made Esther like like a daughter. So so. Esther's growing up in Persia as a Jew, as an orphan, but her cousin kind of took her under his wing. And, and Vashti, when Vashti says, no, I'm not dancing, the king Xerxes like, I'm done with you. So, so, so Xerxes banishes her. Like, that's, that's divorce on steroids. Like, not only are we done, like, you're out of here. We don't hear, we don't get one more verse or one more word about Vashti the rest of 
of, of the deal. So now here's a king who got rid of us. So here's his great idea. Let's have a citywide beauty contest. And the winner will be my new queen. So Mordecai hears this and says to Esther, hey, you are going to enter this contest. And Esther it's like, this is, you know, I'll, I'll, she goes with it. We don't get a lot of the details. So the favor of something, somehow this Jewish girl gets, you know, up. It's like a really Old Testament sick version of Bachelor, right, with the king. And, it's, and she wins. She gets the rose or whatever they give. I'm proud to say I don't know a lot about the Bachelor. But, but she wins and she gets selected. Now, based on some, her appearance or her language must have been good or bilingual, they didn't know she was Jewish. And, and Mordecai told Esther, listen, you can just go. You can win this. Do not let them know that you're Jewish. So nobody knows she's Jewish. She wins. She becomes Queen Esther, replacing Vashti. And now we have this young Jewish lady. So a little bit into after all that, Mordecai's hanging out at the gate. He is a Jew and he lets people know he's a Jew, but nobody knows that that's, you know, all that. So Mordecai's hanging out and there's two guys that are mad at Xerxes because he's done something to tick them off and they're part of his inner court. And they start whispering about, let's take this dude out. So they start planning a coup, a takeover of King Xerxes. Now their names, I can't even say them. It's like Big Thana and Teresh, right? Teresh and Big Thana. But I'm pretty sure somebody called them Biggie and Scary Terry, right? So <laughs> Terry and Biggie are like, hey, we're, and, and they're plotting to kill Xerxes. Well, Mordecai, I'm not making this up. Why are y'all looking at me funny, right? <laughs> Mordecai hears the plot and he goes to Esther and says, hey, Biggie, and Scary Terry, like they're coming after the king. So she tells the king, the king takes care of these two dudes, kills uh, Scary Terry and Biggie, and, and all because Mordecai heard that, and then they go along about their lives. So that's an important part that we'll come back to. So now there's some openings on the inner circle of the king because he had to get rid of some, some traitors. Enter the bad guy, Haman, all right? Not Hamich, that's Hunger Games. This is Haman, all right? Haman is that dude. Remember that dude in high school who, who just wanted to be in charge of something, anything, right? Just wanted to have control or power over something and, and he was never picked and he was never chosen. So he went and got that degree and he was shrewd and he was gonna find a way to be in charge of somebody, right? Just that guy, right? Haman is that guy, he's a jerk, he's all about himself, he's thirsty for power. Well, he sees this opening, he jumps in it, and we don't know all the details. Somehow Haman rises all the way to second in command behind Xerxes. Haman is second in command, and as he comes into that position of second in command behind the king, he has this brilliant idea. Hey, king, here's what'd be cool. If you made a law that everybody, when I walk through the city, they got to bow down to me. That'd be awesome, right? And King Xerxes, who, I don't want to say he's a you know, full-on alcoholic, but he's pretty much drunk all the time, right? So we don't know, we don't know if that's part of this decision-making or not, but King Xerxes is like, yeah, Haman, that's a great idea. So he signs it into law. If, Mordecai, if, uh, if uh, Haman walks by you, you got to bow. So everybody bows down to Haman. And then word rumors start like, hey, Haman, there's a dude out. Like, I don't know if he's not paying attention, but he doesn't bow. I've seen it. So they ask him, they get, it's Mordecai. Hey, you're not bowing. He's like, no, I'm not bowing. I don't bow. 
right? And we don't get his exact quote, but it's connected to his Jewishness, right? If you know, like their uh, claim to serve one God, we don't see, he doesn't say that. We just know he's refusing to bow. So Haman, like he finally, he finally has the power. I mean, uh, yeah, Haman finally has the power. He finally has this position. And now one, one dude isn't going to bow down. Now, you know, Haman is a punk because he doesn't go and talk and, and deal with this like a man. He doesn't go out and say, Mordecai, you bow or we, we're throwing blows. He doesn't say that. Instead, he goes back into the corner and he plots, right? He makes a plan, but it's not enough to kill Mordecai. He, he knows Mordecai's a Jew. He said, I, we're going to not just kill Mordecai. We're going to kill all the Jews. I'm not going to wipe this dude out for refusing to bow. I'm going to wipe his race out forever. And that's his plan. And he takes this, what we would call dice. Um, it's a, there's a Jewish word for it that will connect. Stay with us for the whole series, but it's important. But it's P-U-R, pure or per. And he rolls these dice and the dice determine the date. And they pick a date. and It's like a year out. That's the day they're going to exterminate, kill all the Jews. Right? That's the plan. So obviously, um, and the king goes along with this, right? The king says, yeah, these, he'll go because uh, Haman goes to the king and he's like, hey, there's people among us. They're not with us. They don't believe like, well, they're not part of us and they're probably going to try to, and he, you know, plants all these seeds. So the king goes along with it. Now it's a law. It's going to happen on this date coming in less than a year. All the Jews are going to be killed. Now they don't know that Esther's a Jew. They know Mordecai's a Jew, but they're, it's bad. So Mordecai and Esther start sending messages back to each other. Right? This, this, they're cousins, but Mordecai's older and has treated her as an adopted daughter. And, and Mordecai's like, we, we got we to gotta do something. This is bad. And Esther is like, you know, she, he, Mordecai's saying, Esther, you got you to gotta talk to the king. And Esther says, I can't. There's a rule, like, I can only go to the king if he calls for me. I can't just barge into his office. That's not how it works. In fact, if I do that, he can kill me. And Mordecai's response is, well... You know, when they come to this date and all the Jews are going to be killed, they're going to figure out eventually you're a Jew. So it's not just like your people on the line. This includes you too. He said, but Mordecai, which is crazy, Mordecai says, there will be deliverance. Like it's coming one way or another. We'll, we'll get out of this. Maybe you're involved, maybe you're not. But he says this kind of famous statement from the book of Ezra. He says, maybe, Esther, that you're queen for this moment. That, that this is your moment that this is all kind of a setup for this time. And, and it must have been effective because Esther's response, again, this is sent back in messages, not in a one-on-one conversation. Her response is, okay, I'll go. And she says this crazy, beautiful statement. She says, I'll go. I want you guys to pray and fast for me. I'm going to go see the king tomorrow. And she says, if I die, I die. It's a strong woman. Now, some of you think that quote comes from Rocky IV, you know, when it's the big Apollo and Rocky are going at it. He throws that brutal punch, and they put the mic in Drago's face. If he dies, he dies. That's what, he was stealing that from Esther. Every good thing comes from Scripture. So that's the line that he says. She says, so she goes and sees the king. Esther with her life on the line, and it's this weird kind of tradition thing. If he holds his scepter out, that means you're good, and you can come on in and talk. And if, you don't, if he doesn't do that, then you can be killed. Well, he sees Esther, Xerxes sees Esther, and he, um, he has positive vibes, and he extends the scepter, and he says, come, come in. What can I do for you? I, I, I want to, what, what can I do for you, queen? And, and Esther says, I just want you and Haman to come to a banquet. Come to a dinner I'm throwing just for you two. I want you to come to that tomorrow. And the king says, we'll be there. So the next day, it's a three-person invite, right? It's 
the king, the queen, and Haman, and they're eating it up, and there's a lot of drinking in this book, right? And they're drunk, and they're doing whatever they do back 2,400 years ago, and then it's over, and, and it's almost over, and the king says, Esther, I know that you got something on your mind. I, this is what sometimes powerful drunk men say. I'll give you anything you want up to half my kingdom. And Esther's response is, all I want is for you to come back tomorrow. This is a two-day banquet. Just come back tomorrow. And King says, it's been a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. Haman's like, it's been a good day. So Haman, you know, is stumbling out from his drinking. And as he leaves to go home, he sees Mordecai. He just sees him in the, in the city. And he goes home. Haman does. And he tells his family and his friends, his wife, he's like, I'm the man. There was a banquet today. There's only three people there, king, queen, and me, right? That's all. Like, I've got so much power. I got everything I always wanted, but I can't enjoy any of it because this filthy Jew Mordecai won't even bow down. And I know we got a plan to kill all the Jews, but I'm not, I, gotta, I can't deal with this. What should I do? And his wife, Haman's wife says, hey, here's an idea. You could kill him tomorrow in the front yard, right? How they kill people, it's really hard to figure out because the, the scripture translated to English uses words like uh, gallows, stake, pole. Our best guess from all, again, I don't think I'm smart. I just read people that are smart and have studied this for lifetimes. The, the, the best case scenario or the most likely scenario is they built this like huge, like five, six, seven story contraption that was like a a pole, like think of a telephone pole, but really, and at the top, it would, they would sharpen it down to be super sharp. And then it wasn't really hanging people on it. it the translation is better that somebody would be, uh, they would hang somebody on it. So what that means is they would most likely impale, meaning they would put a person on the sharpness of this pole and the pole would go through them, obviously killing them. And it would be on display this horrible way to die. I can't imagine. So they, in the middle of the night at Haman's house, they build this thing so that tomorrow they can put Mordecai on it and just be rid of him. That's their plan. It just so happens, it just so happens that that very night, the king can't sleep. All right, what do you do when you can't sleep? Oh, you don't know? You read, right? <laughs> but not if you're a king. If you're a king and you can't sleep, you get somebody to read to you. So he calls his people. He's like, hey, read to me. Read, read to me. What should we read tonight? Mm, let's, why don't you read to me like how great my kingdom. Like read me the history of all that I've accomplished. So they're reading to the king about his early days. And they come to the part, just so happens, they come to the part that night where they read about the time that Scary Terry and Biggie had this plot to take him out. And Mordecai told Esther and they ended up taking care of that situation. And the king stops the reader and is like, hey, that dude, Mordecai, what did we ever do for him? Like, he saved my life. What did we ever do for him? And, and the people said, oh, we never did anything for him. We didn't really acknowledge that he saved your life. And the king's like, well, that's going to change tomorrow. First thing in the morning, I want, I want Mordecai celebrated. Right? I want to put a robe on him. We're going to do all this stuff. We're going to have a parade. And, and, and I'm going to get Haman to drive him around and just tell everybody how great he is. So at the same time, the next morning, Haman, you know, is 
early for work because he's got to get permission from the king. Hey, I'm sick of this dude that won't bow and I'm going to kill him in my yard. And, and before he can get that out, king's like, you wouldn't believe what happened last night. This dude saved my life and we never, and I already put it into law. It has to happen. We're going to celebrate Mordecai and I want you to go put a robe on him. I want you to drive him around town and tell everybody he should be honored. And, and Haman has no choice. So can you imagine when you hate somebody and having to, having to be on that horse or donkey or Porsche or whatever he was riding and he just went through the town telling everybody this dude saved the king's life he is to be greatly honored so he does that all morning it's a bad day for Haman after that he's got his appointment with the king and the queen it's day two of the banquet he goes into the banquet and and Esther is there and the king is like and they're drinking again hey I told you I'll give you anything you want Esther what do you want Esther's like I'll tell you what I want there's there's somebody among you that wants to kill me because I'm a Jew. She comes out with it. She wants to kill me. She wants to kill Mordecai, the one that you just celebrated, and all of our people. And again, drunken rage, like King Xerxes gets up. He leaves the room. He's so mad. Like, who, who, is, who would want to do this? And Queen Esther, I just would love to get you know, the video of this. She's like, oh, it's it's this, and Haman's like shrinking under the table. It's like, it's your boy. It's your boy, Haman. He's the one. So King Xerxes leaves the room at that point, and he's just so mad and so fired up, and he doesn't know what to do. Haman is like, all right, the king's mad. I just got out. It's, this day can't get worse. What am I going to do? So he starts to beg of Esther, and he must touch her. He must be on her knees. He's begging for his life. Esther, and as, he, as he's doing that, I don't know what he did exactly, but the king comes back in the room, and when he comes back in the room, he's like, what, after all, like now you're going to molest my wife in the king's palace? That's what he says to him. And some little dude, I don't know if he's little, he's nobody, he's just sitting there watching this. His name's Harbona. That's a rough life. Like, think of how the dude at school tomorrow named Harbona. Harbona just decides to say, hey, king, just so you know, uh, the dude that you're celebrating, Mordecai, Haman actually built this thing in his yard to kill him today. That's, that's Harbona's whole role in the whole story. That's all we ever hear from him. He's that guy. And the king is so far, he's like, oh, did you now? Did you now? And Haman gets taken to his house, impaled on the pole. It's bad enough to die, but in your own yard. And he is killed by the king, Queen Esther and the Jews. They completely reverse and do some crazy other stuff to save the Jewish people. Uh, king Xerxes stays in power. Esther stays queen. And they, they elevate Mordecai to take Haman's spot as second in command in the entire place of Persia. And here's the craziest thing. If you go read all 10 chapters of Esther today, not one time is the name of God mentioned. One of two books that we have, the other is Song of Solomon, that does not once mention the name of God. Even though his name is not in the book, he is everywhere. It, is, it seems as if we don't know who wrote Esther. It seems like it's an intentional designed to show how God works, way maker. Uh, when we, even when we can't see him, he's there. Even when we don't name him, he's there. And he shows up in pivotal circumstances. He shows up in what some in our culture would call coincidence that we don't believe in. This, it just so happens that the king read that that night. It just so 
happens that Mordecai overheard these guys planning to do what they planned to do. We don't believe that God does random. That's a popular word, or it used to be a few years ago. Everything was so, oh, it's so random, right? Oh, that's cool. God's not random. He's always at work in this series that we've entitled Choosing to See is helping you and helping us have a trust and a faith that sees God working, especially when it's hard, especially when his name isn't even mentioned. And it's not blind faith. It's not, hey, I'm saying this, so you should believe it. It is God working and you figuring out and understanding how to see it so you have your own reason, your own evidence, your own faith support deep down in you. We believe that God is always working specifically on three levels. One, globally. There is a global plan of God. It has started in Adam and Eve, and it has always been to redeem his people and his people, like we talked about last week, from every tribe, tongue, and nation. He has a plan, and it didn't end when Jesus came and died on the cross. Like, it is a global, complete plan from the creation of this world to the end of this world, which will launch us into the forever that we're always focusing on as a gospel-centered, forever-focused, multi-ethnic movement of God. So he's working globally, and you see that in Esther because the Jews uh, were, were the genealogy, the, the, the race that God invented, the people he made for himself in order to bring the Messiah Jesus into the earth. So the Jews couldn't be wiped out for God's plan to be. So he was working, and then, and he's working now on a global level. It does me good when we talked about multi ethnic church last week to remember and pray for, for those that, that are secretly meeting uh, across this planet today in 2021. Our brothers and sisters in different countries, in the Middle East and in Asia and other places that have to worship this Jesus secretly for fear of prison or worse, that we're globally connected to them, that we're part of one family before under God. He's always working globally. Secondly, since Jesus came and established the church of Jesus, which we are extension and function of 2,000 years later, he's always working in his local church. Right? We're not against each other. We're a bunch of local churches doing what God's called them to do. We're all one team, but specifically that God is working in his local church, in relentless church, because God is a relentless God. We believe that the gospel, what we center on, says that there's incredible news of our rescue and adoption. So there's always, it's all, he's using his people. What is the local church? It's the body of Christ made up of followers of Christ. So you get to go this week and the way you talk, live, love, decide, and, and spend your life, you get to be a visual, physical, verbal communication of how good God is that he came to rescue and adopt us. And that message has been entrusted to his local church, not just here, but everywhere. And then third, individually, personally, what, what is the local church made up of? It's made up of individual people. So individuals make the church, the church makes the global church, and God is always working on those three levels. Now, we're going to hopefully walk in together to this idea of choosing to see God at work. It starts individually, right? It's hard to see global first. To see, have you seen God working in your individual personal life? And then to see him working in our collective life that we call the church. And then to see that fit into what he's doing globally and let me give you an example when I'm choosing to see. Like, so globally, it's, it's the gospel. Globally, we win. Globally, you know, 
there was so much uh, darkness right before Jesus came on to the earth. And we have scripture leading up to, you know, about the time of this story. And then there's nothing, like there's no scripture for hundreds of years leading up. And there's a lot of people that were waiting for a Messiah. And it was easy to, you know what, maybe there is no, maybe there's nothing. Maybe this was all right. And then he showed up in his perfect timing. There's another huge event coming. And I don't know how close we are. I just know we're closer than we've ever been. And that's when Jesus is going to come back for his church. And this world will end as we know it. That's, that's not sci-fi. Like that's coming and we win. And that's important for the choosing to see mindset. It's one of my favorite illustrations. I've used it and I'll use it again because it's perfect for this. Uh, years ago when I was still a rookie at watching football, like I didn't know how to do it like I do now, make sure nobody spoils stuff. Sometimes I've got to be places I can't watch stuff live and God in his goodness years ago invented DVR. You can pause it. Remember before we could do that? Like it was a different life. Well, I was just figuring that out and the Panthers were coming and I was a rookie. I wasn't good at this. I went downstairs in my basement. This was, um, you know, 10 years ago or so. And, and I, before I got the the game on to watch it because it had already over because I was behind to it. I'd made sure nobody, if you love me, don't tell me anything. I don't want to know. I'd gotten through all of church and all of my meeting and whatever, and I didn't know anything that happened. I sat down to enjoy this game. I don't even remember who they were playing. And as I turned the TV on, I just saw on the ticker the final score. That's the bad news. The good news is we won, right? And it was like 27 to 10. I don't remember who were playing, but 27 to 10. Now, if you're me, you still watching the game? Absolutely, man, that's my team. And I don't like, I didn't want to know, but now I knew, I didn't mean to know. Now I'm watching the game, but it's a different, it's a completely different experience. We started off down 10 nothing. Normally I'd be, you know, I think that I can affect the game by talking to the guys during the game, right? I'd be like, what are we doing, right? 10 nothing, I was chilling, right? I didn't care because I knew the final score. I just didn't know how we get there. That affects your week. I know some of you are carrying heavy stuff that's more important than a football game. Right? It's a mindset of choosing. God ain't left me. I know what's going to come. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be more than we could ever hope for. I don't know how and I don't know when, but I do know what. Take that into your week. He's always working on a global level. Let's talk about local for a second. Here, Relentless Church. Do we, do we choose? Do we have anything to see that God is always at work? This last Monday night, we had our largest, it's not all about numbers, but we had our largest Welcome to Relentless event that we've ever had in the history of our church in a pandemic. More than 30 people were in this room learning about who we are and where we're going. And most of those, not all, most of those, they didn't even know us six months ago. Right? Some of these, you don't think you're the only one. Like, man, I don't know a lot of these folks. We've got a lot of people that God's bringing, right? God is at Work. We think about Vasti. It's a big day as we'll celebrate and pray Vasti out. And she had uh, her amazing husband with her on stage, David, here a few minutes ago. And I guess think back to her story, and and, and she tells it. And we've sh we've shared it in video years ago. But you know, she's our worship leader. But the, she was just so happened that she went to college with a guy who was helping us lead worship years ago. And that guy invited her, hey, come check out this multi-ethnic church. I think you'll like it at Relentless. So she comes to the movie theater with her sister, with her mom, with her family, and they come in. And, and the way she tells us, they come in, it's just so dark, and it was, and weird, and it was. 
they come down the hallway and, and come into the theater for a minute and, and it's like too creepy. And they turn around and leave. Like this is cultic, like this is weird. It's a movie theater. I ain't messing with these people. There's not many people here. So they turn and leave. And my man Chauncey Hatcher, I, I don't know what God did in him. I don't know. God's name wasn't mentioned, but he was all in. God's like, hey, Bass, you know, he doesn't know her. He, he meets her and he says, hey, it's not that bad. Like, come on, check it out. <laughs> So he somehow coaxes them back into the theater. They attend their first service, and the rest has been history. It just so happens, right? Even this building that we're here, right? And like we've been here since January of 2019. Things at the theater, we were outgrowing it. Things were getting really hard, and I was just pleading with God. I, I know we're not, I know we got to move. I don't know how, I don't know where, I don't know. And Stephen and Karen Scoggins, who I hadn't laid eyes on Stephen for maybe three or four years. He comes to church at the theater. I'd known him from a different deal. And, and turns out he's bought this building. And God, according to him, God had put Relentless Church on he and his wife's heart to talk to us before they opened this place up for any other churches. That he wanted us to come look at it to see if we might need a new place as our home. It just so happens that Stephen came that day and that time like, come on. So many, and, and then globally, locally, then personally, and I could talk all day, I won't, about my, my marriage, each of my kids and their miraculous stories. I think for the personally, I want you to step into that in this series, like choosing to see God at work. You should be excited about that. But personally, for me, for us, I, I just, if you're kind of stuck in a rut or, or things kind of get predictable or maybe even boring with you and God, I, I would just encourage you to start getting your face into scripture, but not to read the Bible. I read the Bible today. Good check. No, no, no. That you would believe that God is going to work in your life through scripture. Like, it's amazing. Like, how did he know? How did he have me read that today? I don't even know why I'm reading that today. And then by lunch, it's like, oh my goodness, it's almost freaky that you gave me that because you knew this was coming. He'll, he's really, really good at that. He'll help you open your eyes to see what he wants you to see, and he'll make it personal. That's what we're going to hopefully help you do in, in our small group, in our series, in the weeks to come. I like how Kirk Franklin says, I don't know if you heard that track um, on Lecrae's latest album. There's a song called Sunday Morning that's a really good, like, you know, vibing, good, positive song, but then it gets real deep at the end where uh, there's this little part by Kirk Franklin that he's doing kind of a spoken word deal. And he, I want you to see this quote where he says, if what you see is all you see, then you do not see all there is to be seen. Right? If what you see is all you see, and that's really just a beautiful artistic translation of 2 Corinthians, right? One of my favorite chapters in scripture, 2 Corinthians 4 where it's just unpacking the gospel and how good it is again today that God loves us. He's rescued and adopted us for a reason. It's personal, it's real. And he kind of unpacks that. And then at the end of the chapter, he builds on that. Verse 16, you've heard, maybe it says, therefore we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, but inwardly we're being renewed day by day. It's easy to lose heart these days, isn't it? 
but we're, we're wasting away. That's not great. But inwardly, we're, well, how, what does that mean? Our light, verse 17, our light and momentary troubles. And God knows they don't feel light and momentary as you walk through them. But those moments, why are they momentary? Because this life ain't it and we're coming. What's happening inside of us and around us as God's working? What's happening is our troubles are achieving something for us. What are they achieving? They're achieving for us an eternal glory, something that will never be taken away. It's going to be worth it. It far outweighs all the troubles that you may be carrying today therefore we don't lose heart because we know this ain't it we don't just say that at funerals it's how we live our lives we're wasting away some of us quicker than others right but it was a joke inwardly we're being renewed day by day why because our troubles are achieving something us so what do we do now verse 18 we fix our eyes not on what we see because what we see is temporary but the unseen God who loves you and made you and is going to show up at your school, show up at your job, show up at your breakfast table, show up all kinds of places if you'll learn and choose to see. That's the lifestyle that we think God's calling us to learn more about this beautiful month of October. I want to pray that that comes into your life in whatever way God would choose right now. Father, we... We're amazed at you, that you can teach us and love us and communicate with us through your word, even a book that never mentions your name. God, we just praise you for being so strategic and so, uh, like, to put people in spots. And God, God we, we, we so easily say that phrase, it just so happens, as if it was just random. God, help us see in our own lives, in our own church, and in the whole world how strategic and intentional and beautiful you are. God, would you bless this series, where we're going, bless our church. In Jesus' name, amen. We, we got uh, some important things to do before we leave here today. There's three things that are about to happen, a video, a song, and a prayer. And as we um, told uh, the church back in August, I mentioned it several times, uh, that this is the, October 3rd was a day we were Honestly, not real excited about. It's the day that there's the last day that our worship leader, Vasti Renhifo, would be serving with us. And uh, we have a video. Um, Vasti's going to have a chance to share in a little bit if she wants to, but her, uh, her fear was she couldn't get anything out. So we have a video just in case, right? So, um, and then just knowing Vasti's heart for God, for our church, um, knowing and getting to be a part of David and Vasti's wedding, which we did right here in this room, um, they and we wanted to end uh, her season with us and this service by worshiping uh, together. So we're going to uh, hear from Vasti through video, and then we're going to invite you to worship with us uh, one last song, and then we are going to pray together as a church, David and Vasti, um, out of this season into the next season. So this is choosing to see God at work. It's challenging sometimes, right? We've never had uh, this. We've never had uh, a staff member, which is a blessing, but seven years in, we knew it would come. And if it's going to happen, this is how you want it to happen, right? Not, not angry and not scandalous and not all that, but, you know, Vasti married an awesome man who's a worship leader, right? So they're going to go do beautiful things um, for God. So listen to Vasti, worship with us, and then join us in prayer. It's been a long process. Um, 
I mean, I, we, I was just praying that God would, like, somehow have David and us just come to Relentless, like, even while we were dating, I was praying, <laughs> and uh, then we got engaged, and obviously we, um, we were also going to uh, marriage counseling as well, and everything was just pointing towards you know, moving to his church because of all the responsibilities that he has. And I mean, I knew all his responsibilities he had, but I was like, oh, maybe somehow something will happen, you know. I was just really in denial for a lot of time. Like, I wasn't able to tell Seth or tell you. He told you in that meeting that we, we had, and I wasn't even ready that day. I just broke down that day. I was like, oh, gosh. <laughs> I think I was in denial then, too. Like, it's just a long process because of what Relentless has meant to me. So I love that I will be with just David and spending that time with him doing ministry together, um, doing just more music. He's also a musician, so doing worship together, doing music together. Um, I also love that part that he will be working with the Hispanic community. Um, also, we have connection with American church, but it will be more focused just with the Hispanic community or Latinx community. I remember when I was looking for a church, right? I was, I know I, I love God, but I was, I didn't trust the church. I was looking, I was praying like, God, I'm looking for a church where I can just, you know, <laughs> just, you know, Oh, oh, you're not gonna show this. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, um, just, I guess I, I don't even, I just, I was just looking for a healthy gospel center church because I, I, I don't, I felt like I didn't know the gospel. Um, but now looking back, I, I had no idea how much I really didn't know, how much I still I am growing in, right? But um, just to uh, just learn about the grace of God and His mercy and goodness, and and also like I was just surprised with um, the multi-ethnic. I think I had an idea of what multi-ethnic was, multi-ethnic church, but I really had no idea. Uh, because here I learned about tabling, right? About actually living with people. I was learning everything at church about, you know, race and loving people. And to feel confident to go to my school or go to my friends and, and know what it is that I am what I'm facing and then how am I supposed to react to that? I think that was very powerful. Just to live do life in, the, in a real way with people. Um, I think I think that's mainly one of the main things I have learned from Relentless. It's just how to love God and like just live freely um, through all the messes and all the stuff that have been in our lives and in society. It just has been just been awesome. So. To those, I'm just thinking about people who are maybe at church like on Sunday and and they're visiting for the first time. I'm like, 
man, you're in the best place. And um, it's the safe, like one of the safest places I know for, for you to get to know God. And I'm not being paid to say this. <laughs> it's just really like, I remember just thinking, I, 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 I can invite anyone to this church. Like I can invite someone, a professor from college, just as well I can invite any, anyone else, like anyone from like all margins of, of life and society. So I can just do that here. So I guess what I want to say, I love you, Relentless, so much. And oh. <laughs>